Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We have been in a series called Being the Church, Revealing the Real and Renewing the Roots. And today we are looking at the church. The church is salt and the church is light from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, uses this imagery. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's what we'll be looking in today as we talk about what it means to be the church. And so let's read that together. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be with the preaching of your word. We pray that you would change what we love and what we do and how we think. In your name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Where's Waldo? Do you remember where's Waldo? I have no idea if it's still around, but where's Waldo was a visual puzzle book. And you would get this big book and you'd open it up and you would be overwhelmed by all the cartoon characters on the pages. And somewhere in there was the character Waldo, who's waving at you on the side there. And you had to find Waldo. And you'd think it would be easy, but it was not easy to find Waldo. Against the backdrop of all those other cartoon characters, you would think that you found Waldo, but you had found someone who was just wearing the same shirt as Waldo, but it wasn't actually Waldo. Or you might find someone who had the glasses on, but they had on a different color shirt. And Waldo was hidden against the backdrop of all those other characters. He he just kind of blended in. And if you remember doing that, you could sit there for 20 minutes before finding Waldo. I don't know if Where's Waldo is still around, but it was an entertaining puzzle. uh, And it it was challenging. It's challenging for us as we survey the culture, as we look around at the culture, and not cartoon characters, but Darkness and decay are everywhere. Uh, We look around and there's dishonest businesses. We survey and there's, uh, there's greed. There's abortion. There's a pipeline to prison. There's no respect for human life. There's corruption. There's sexual brokenness. And as we see those things, much like when you look on the page and try and find Waldo, All those things in our society and our culture can be kind of overwhelming. But the thing that we're looking for is the church. Where is the church in the midst of society's decay and darkness? Where is the church in the midst of sin's corruption in our society? Where is the church? People are looking for the church to stand out against the backdrop of darkness and the backdrop of decay. And as the church, sometimes we are tempted to simply blend in. 
just like Waldo. We're tempted to kind of blend in and not be that different than the rest of society. And then no one sees the church. They ask the question, where's the church? But also what the church can be at fault for is looking around at all the decay and destruction and sin and cast blame on the culture. We can sort of come in here and say, man, society is so corrupt and it's their fault. Uh, But whose fault is it really? (laughs) John Stott, picking up on that imagery of salt and light, says this. He says, whose fault is it? Let me put it like this. If the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That is what happens when bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Where is the church? Unfortunately, in the midst of society's decay and destruction, the church is hard to find. Kind of like where's Waldo against that backdrop. Where is the church? What is the church doing to make a difference in this broken world? Jesus tells us this morning who we are and what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be located so that the world can say, where's the church? There it is. First of all, Jesus says that the church should be on the front lines confronting sin's decay. On the front lines confronting sin's decay. In verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt was used for several different things in the ancient world. One of those things was as a preservative. They did not have refrigeration, and so often salt was used to keep meat from going bad. It preserved against bacteria. And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is telling the people of God, he is telling the disciples that we are a preservative against sin's decay in our world. Paul Copen wrote a great book called, Is God a Moral Monster? And he was answering questions and objections that people have to Christianity. And he did a lot of research and he found that the early Christians in the first 500 years of Christianity really preserved society against the effects of sin's decay. He found that after Rome fell, Christianity spread, but as Christianity spread, slavery dwindled. Coincidence? Or is it the church preserving against sin's decay? In the fourth century, there was a practice among the Greco-Roman culture where they would abandon infants in the streets. And the church was the ones who went out and found those infants and adopted them, preserving against sin's decay. In fact, it was activists who stood up at the gladiator games and said, this is too much. We cannot watch these people be killed in public by each other and by wild animals. And it was activists, Christian activists, who pushed against that in society. 
stopping sin's decay, at the front line confronting the darkness. It, it makes you think because oftentimes as I look around society and I see so much brokenness and so much brokenness and so much decay, my first prayer is, God, do something. And what Jesus is saying here is, he did, he sent you. We pray to God and ask him to stop sin's effect as if we're not part of the answer to that prayer. We are the salt of the world. But, but salt in the ancient day wasn't just a preservative. It was used like we do. Uh, it was used as a flavoring. Uh, I didn't use salt much before I got married and then my, my, got married to my wife and, and uh, she uses salt. And I was like, wow, everything tastes amazing now. <laughs> there's a, there's this, this great flavoring. And as Christians, we're called to bring the flavoring of Jesus into the world, not just stop the decay of sin advancing in the world, but actually to push back with the flavoring of who Jesus is and what his character is like. And again, as we look at church history, we see that this has actually happened. In the world, one of the values that is held onto in most cultures is the idea of revenge. Someone punches you, you punch them back. If some country attacks you, you attack them back. And revenge was a virtue until Christ came and he died and he rose again. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then as the early church adopted that value, revenge started to decrease as a virtue. And now you and I value forgiveness whether we're Christians or not, because of the influence of the church. Because the, the church pushed out the flavoring of Christ to forgive. Not only that, but the poor. In the history of the world, the poor have always been looked down on. In fact, Peter Brown, who's a scholar, did some research, and he found that in the fourth and fifth century, there was a really sharp line between the rich and the poor not like anything we even have today. It was very distinct. The, the, the poor were condemned to the outer margins of society until Christianity began to spread. And the poor found that they weren't just looking for rich people to save them from their poverty, but they were welcomed into the church as brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden, the flavoring of Christ is being spread in the world. This is really what we've been called to as the church. We have a history of this. If, if you look at higher education, Oxford, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, these are all started by pastors and missionaries who wanted to spread the flavor of Christ in the world. Uh, great works of literature, St. Augustine, Dante, Milton, Tolkien, Pascal, all Christians, who, who are writing, bringing the flavor of Christ into the world of literature. Not only that, but science and music, Galileo, Copernicus, Bach, Handel. We might have heard of these names, but there's a Christian influence that happened in each of these people. And even some of the hospitals that we see, St. Saint, Somebody, right? St. Luke's or Baptist Hospital or Memorial Hospital. Those were all started by Christians who wanted to take care of the poor and the sick the flavoring of Christ. Those all seem like big things, but to bring the flavoring of Christ isn't actually that hard. Uh, you can just do your job with integrity. Outside Cairo, Egypt is a place called Garbage 
city. And Garbage City is inhabited by um, the poorest of the poor uh, because Islam has strict restrictions on touching garbage and things like that. Most of the people who live in Garbage City are either non-religious or they are Christian. And they go into Cairo every day and they collect the garbage and they bring it back to their city, Garbage City, and they sort through it. And they look for things that they can sell to make money. And that's how they live. That's their livelihood. Garbage people. Outcasts. Well, in 1972, one old garbage man who lived in Garbage City was sorting through his trash and found an $11,000 watch. Thank you, Jesus. Right? But then he looked on the watch, and on the inside of the watch, there was an inscription of a man's name, of the owner of the watch. And that man who found the watch could have just as easily said, this is Jesus's blessing to me. I'm an old man. I've been sorting through garbage my entire life. Thank you, Lord, for providing this. But that's not what he did. He committed to hunt down the man whose name was inscribed on the watch. And he found him. And he was a young Egyptian businessman. And he said, why in the world did you not just keep my watch? Why did you find me? Why did you bring it here? And and the old garbage man said, my Christ told me to be honest until death. So I did. And you know what the Egyptian businessman said? Because of what you have done, I will worship the Christ you are worshiping. And he did. The, The younger Egyptian businessman became a Christian and then eventually became a pastor and started a congregation near Garbage City because that man brought the flavor of Christ, just simple integrity into his work, and it affected that man. The problem with us is not that we, it's probably that we are flavored more by the culture than we bring the flavor of Christ into the culture. I mean, when we talk about justice, are we talking about God's sense of justice or is it a hidden way to get revenge? If it's a hidden way to get revenge, we are being flavored by the culture rather than bringing the flavoring of Christ into the culture. Um, In our moment, we are so divided. And in that division, we can be peace fakers rather than peacemakers. And if we're peace fakers, we're being influenced by the culture rather than bringing the flavor of Christ into the culture. (laughs) Strife is so common right now on social media. And because there is so much complaining and strife going back and forth between people, we are salty with others rather than being salt to them because we've been flavored more by the culture than we are bringing the flavor of Christ into the culture. That is what we are called to do. G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He said, look, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. We want a church that will stop the decay and bring the flavor of Christ into the world. And we do that by being salt and also by being light. The church shines against sin's darkness. In verse 14 through 15, Jesus puts it this way. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. 
and it gives light for all who are in the house. Now, now notice what Jesus says, right? Jesus doesn't say you are a light, you are one of many lights. He says, no, you are the light. In other words, what Jesus is doing in the world is through us, and that is his plan. How Jesus sees us as his representatives against the darkness. You are the light of the world. This is how Jesus chooses to identify us as a city on a hill that lights up against the darkness. So where is the church? Well, that's a great question. He he says, should you hide a light under a basket? We are the light. Jesus has empowered us and given us everything we need to be the light. The question is, will we shine? Will we shine in the midst of the darkness? We shine simply by doing good works. The very next, next verse in verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Where is the church? How do we see the church against the decay? How do we see the church in the darkness? We see the church when the church does good works. Not to earn God's favor, not to be great people, but because we're light in a dark world. We do good works. Now, doing good works is work, right? (laughs) To do good works, first of all, they have to be good, but then they're also work. And I find many times as Christians, we can be lazy. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to get committed. We don't want to do the work of doing good works. It's just easier to come and praise and go home and turn on the game. Guilty as well. But Jesus is calling us into that very thing. Jesus is calling us into the work of doing good works. Not to get on God's good side, but to shine in the darkness. Haley Hunt, who you saw the video of her, she's the founder of the verb kind. And really, I think the ministry just started with her going into the, into the youth detention centers and just spending time with kids. And then all of a sudden it grew across the state. And now there's like six or seven sites where people are just committed to go in on Monday nights and spend time with kids and impact their lives. But she says this, I I thought this was really good for us. If I get to inspire potential mentors for the kids in jail, I will tell them that it's almost never convenient to serve people. Do you hear that? Like it's never convenient to do good works which makes it all the more rewarding. Like on a Friday night, when you get notified that the girls, as the girls in in prison, are bummed because they didn't get a pizza party. They don't deserve a pizza party. They're in jail. But they're also teenagers on a Friday night. This isn't about me being the pizza angel. This is about doing things when you don't feel like it because you don't even know how much it impacts lives. Man, the commitment, the intentionality of good works isn't just so that we can say we're good people. It's actually to impact someone else so that they might see their life differently, so that they might see the church at work, so they might see God pursuing them. That's really what all this is about. 
Jesus has said, so that they see your good works and may glorify your Father in heaven. Now, God's everywhere, but he, his throne is in heaven. But the way he works on earth is through us, his people, pointing them to who he is. And that has a profound impact on people when they know that we're doing it in Jesus' name. Our family had a friend that just passed away in the last few weeks, um, a woman who had cancer, and over the last six months, her health deteriorated. And my wife and daughter were able to go spend time with them a couple weeks ago before she passed. And, and during that time, the woman, uh, Cindy, her brother, who was an atheist, came and spent time with her as well. And he just kind of sat and watched. He sat at her bedside. He was in the house. He just kind of watched what was going on and spent time with his sister. And this is a man who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe that there is a God, but he saw the way that Cindy, he saw the way that her husband, he saw the way their daughter and all the other Christians who were in the house, he saw the way they lived. And now that man is saying things that I would never expect him to say. Y yesterday was the funeral, and this man who claimed to be an atheist stood up and said this, it is only the light of God that can break through the darkness. Others can find the path by you shining the light of God. You see, as that man, as this brother of the deceased woman watched her die and watched the way her husband and her loved each other and watched the way Christians cared for each other, he reconsidered his atheistic beliefs. Maybe there is a God. And maybe I'm seeing that God right now as I see the light in this dark place. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate how God can use you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As you do good works in this dark world, people will see, people will come to know Jesus and people will glorify God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.